What an amazing weekend this has been for me and Greg. Um, Greg said something on our first night here that really stuck with me. This is like being at an, a huge rock concert for us with all the stars that we've been admiring here in attendance. Last night, we got to hear from Todd Harper and Randy Alcorn. That's like, um, that's like Sting and Bono performing for us. And <laughs> as, soon as, we finish, um, as soon as we finish, David Wills is coming up, which is like Mick Jagger getting on the stage. And, and I don't know where that puts us, but I think we're groupies. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a groupie in the Christian generosity space. And, and Greg and I have just had such a fun year as God has been working on our hearts. And so before I, I jump into our testimony and what the Lord has done, I just want to say that the credit is all his, and he's been so good to us. And um, I feel like we have been essentially passive. We've been sitting here open to the Lord, and he's just been doing things in our heart and doing things, opening doors to us. And it's been a lot of fun, and um, so all the credit goes to our Lord Jesus, and, and we love him so much for that. So our, our story in generosity starts about two years ago when we first showed up at Harvard Business School. And being Christian guys, we found ourselves in the same Bible study. And in that Bible study, we eventually formed a group of seven men who committed to one another and formed what we now call our Board of Directors for Life. And this group has just been an amazing experience, and we've basically agreed with one another, we're going to be there for each other in the decades to come. For wise counsel, for encouragement, for support, no matter what life throws, we're going to support each other. And in that group, we've had many good conversations. We had breakfast every day for a whole semester, really got to know each other. And some of those conversations were around money, um, like many of the conversations we've had this weekend. And we would ask questions like, as we go forward in life, we're all married, half of us and growing actually have children. And so people who graduate from this institution that we're fortunate enough to study at tend to go make quite a bit of money and get wealthy. And so what does that mean once we've provided for our families? What does it mean if we have quite a bit of excess? And what are our obligations as believers? And in the midst of those conversations, Greg actually found a class at Harvard Divinity School, which is the seminary of Harvard, called God and Money. And we were looking at the class description and we said, well, we're pretty big fans of God and we know him and we also really enjoy money, so this is a class that we need to be in. So we signed up and went and what we actually found was that it was a very challenging and hard experience for us. And I'm sure many of you in the room have done a, a deep topical study of, of wealth and giving in the Bible and in Christian theology, it was something that we had not done before in our Christian walk, and um, it really worked on our hearts. And so looking at all these issues, I began to realize that I'm a saver, and saving money and accumulating wealth is what I view as the purpose of wealth. Um, my online banking password for, for years before Harvard Business School was retire at 40, and I was thinking ahead. My, <laughs> So my vision of the good life was I'm going to get a few million dollars in the bank as fast as I can and I'm going to retire and I'm going to drive around in a red C-class Mercedes. I had a very specific car picked out and that would, be, that would be it. I could be done working and I could just enjoy life. And when my wife and I, Megan, were living in Louisiana, we had a 50% savings rate before business school because of that single-minded focus and, and also because I wouldn't let her buy anything. Um, so sorry, Megan. But as we went through the scriptures in this class and in our own studies, so many stood out to us, but one in particular that hit me very hard was the rich fool. And, and you know this story, it's the guy with the barns, and he, puts, he wants to build bigger barns and store up for the future. And so, um, you know, barns are great, but I have no desire to acquire more barns. And so 
one thing that we did was try to put this parable in modern financial terms, and, and it hit me so hard that I wanted to actually share it, if that's okay. This is the John and Greg translation of the Bible, which is not approved for, for anything, really, but um, here we go. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, the stock options belonging to a manager vested after a major run-up in share price. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I already have enough saved to send my kids to college. My house is paid off, and I already maxed out my 401k every year. And he said, I will do this. I will create a passive income portfolio. I'll exercise my options and put the money there. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have a big enough portfolio to be financially independent. Retire early, plan some vacations, play golf. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the portfolio you've built, what use will it be then? So is the one who endlessly builds his net worth and is not rich toward God. And putting the parable in these words was just like an arrow through my heart. And I realized that I was that fool. I was the rich fool. I wasn't rich yet, but my, my heart was taking me in that direction. And that was, that was rough. I mean, that was really, really rough. And so as I was wrestling through that and talking with Greg, he actually reflected that it was a little bit different for him. And he wasn't so much of a saver, wasn't so much focused on security, but rather more oriented around spending. And so as a responsible guy, he was saving for retirement and he was giving his tithe to the church. We both tithe, we wanna be good Christian boys and check the box, we're tithing our money. But after tithing and saving a little, the, the orientation became spending. And so dining out, enjoying travel, just letting the rest of the money fund fun was basically the, the goal there. And so for each of us, it was a challenge and we started reflecting on this through the semester and said, you know, we both grew up in very good Christian homes. We had parents who loved us and loved the Lord and we could have told you all the right things. We could tell you that our wealth belongs to God and that we should be generous and we should care for the poor, but it clearly had not fully sunk into our hearts. And so what we did was wrote a, write a term paper where we tried to lay out rules of life for ourselves. If we apply the principles of scripture, what does that mean in terms of actions that we're going to take in the years to come if the Lord brings wealth into our lives? Very much in the spirit of, of what Alan Barnhart shared, we were inspired by her, his video early in our journey. And so um, we, we wrote that term paper and we actually sent it out and did a survey of about 200 Christian Harvard Business School alumni as well to test the ideas with them and to learn from them since they're further down this path than us. And what was so surprising was that what we heard from those alumni was in many ways more challenging than even what we saw in scripture because we got to see these principles being lived in real life. So very briefly, I wanna share two quick anecdotes or stories out of many that we could have picked from that, that were the challenging for us. So the first is a, a young couple, early 30s. The husband has just graduated from Harvard Business School and they're making good money. The context, they don't have any family money. They're not at millionaire status yet, but they're starting to do well. And led by the Holy Spirit, they wrote a $100,000 check to their church and worked with the church to set up a, a new ministry and spend the funds wisely. And they're so excited about this. And again, retire at 40. I'm thinking, you guys have a screw loose. And like, that's your kid's college fund or that's the beginnings of a good retirement account and you just gave it away. And it was a complete anomaly to me. It didn't make any sense. The second anecdote would be a hedge fund partner in Texas. And this guy makes millions of dollars per year. And as he reflected to us, look, my house is paid off. My kid's college is taken care of. I've got money for that. Um, I don't plan on retiring early because I, I don't see a call to do that. I don't see why I would do that. So I'll save for, up for retirement in the years to come. No worries, I'm not done with that, but I'm giving all the money away every year. And so 
you know, millions of dollars per year given away and not done saving for retirement. And I just couldn't believe this guy. And, and I'm thinking again, at your income level, you could save for like three months and then you'd be done saving for retirement. It's not like it would take very long, but that's not the way he saw it. And he just gives it all away. And so these were anomalies to us. We struggled with it. And something that they have taught us in business school is that when you find an anomaly, that's God's gift to, to you. Because that means that your mental model of how the world works is incomplete. And you need to change your mental model to accommodate the anomaly and understand it. And so we realized at some point, look, I'm a saver. You may be more of a spender. But there's a third category that we haven't fully understood, and that's a servant. Someone who serves the Lord with their money. And so that's what we're trying to become right now and what we're trying to let God do in our lives. And so a servant, we found, this is the first major insight that God has shared with us, asks a different question entirely. We had always asked God, how much should we give? We're going to give our tithe, 10%, maybe 12%. Thank you, Lord, for this money. Here's a little bit back. But these people ask instead, how much do I need to keep? They say, Lord, all of this money is yours. It could all fund kingdom work, but I guess I need a roof over my head. Maybe I need some clothes, but it could all go to your kingdom. And so we have come to realize in our own hearts that the highest purpose of wealth is, is not to enjoy today, although doing that is great. It's not to save for a secure tomorrow, even though that's fine too, but rather it's to glorify God forever. So that's the first big thing he's taught us. Greg's going to share a couple of more. Thanks, John. So uh, I'm going to share a few of the other big ideas that God taught us through this project. Um, but I first do want to point out that uh, the transition from being a saver or a spender to a servant has not been totally seamless like John may make it sound. Uh, in, in fact, my uh, wife has recently been joking that we need to quickly spend all of our money before this book comes out and we officially go on record, <laughs> go on record as becoming generous. Um, so, so, so God is still doing a work in our hearts. Uh, so the next big idea that I'd like to share with you uh, has to do with ambition. Um, and the idea here is that there is real power uh, in applying our ambition to our generosity. Uh, a moment ago, John mentioned this family who wrote the $100,000 check. Uh, they're the Heaths, the Heath family. Um, What's interesting about them is recently God actually called them to sell their house uh, and give all the proceeds to the church. So they are obeying that call, selling their house, even though they have no plans for where they will move. You know, it's a, in their 30s, two young kids. Um, Eric, the husband, recently told me that he actually hopes to one day write a million-dollar check for the kingdom. And when, they to when Eric told us that, we thought to ourselves, you know, that's amazing. This guy has real vision for, for his generosity as contrasted with us, we would sort of just write our check, you know, and then proceed on our merry way. Uh, we were amazed by this perspective. Uh, but indeed, that attitude actually typifies the families that we studied in our book. You know, these families, instead of relentlessly accumulating net worth or immediately spending their annual bonus, they apply their energy and their passion towards their giving. Uh, in other words, they have become ambitious givers instead of ambitious savers or spenders. And this was a very powerful idea to us. John and I knew about ourselves that we were very ambitious with respect to our careers. Um, but we thought to ourselves, what if we harnessed that ambition and applied it towards our generosity? What if all those spreadsheets and business plan ideas, all those networking events and late night at the office, what if the driving force behind those things was not to further our own career, but rather to further God's kingdom? 
then what type of impact could we have? Uh, so that's our second uh, big idea, is the power of ambition with respect to our generosity. The third idea that we'd like to uh, tell you about has to do with stewardship in community. Uh, and the, the insight here is that stewardship is frankly a lot more fun when done together. Uh, you know, I've, I think we would all agree that fellowship is critical to our faith. Um, for me personally, this has looked like a great Bible study. My wife and I have been in a fantastic small group at our church for the last four years. There are five other couples in this group, and we really do life together. We eat together, we hang out together, we vacation together. We share in all the ups and downs of life, job promotions, the birth of new children, uh, you know, difficult marital issues, the death of close loved ones. Uh, we're all very close. I know the deepest details of the personal and spiritual walks of all of these other individuals, and they know mine as well. But there's one topic that we've never talked about, money. Uh, I was speaking with a friend I've actually made this weekend, Todd, um, last night at dinner, and he said that money is the last taboo in the church, and I thought that was very well stated. For some reason, we've all agreed that we just won't talk about personal finance with our cr close Christian friends, uh, but I think this is much to our detriment. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, we read that two are better than one, for there is good return for their toil. If one falls down, his, mother, his brother may pick him up. Uh, Threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, and we think this applies to stewardship as well. Uh, we actually saw this exemplified in many of the families that we studied in our book. All of them engage in stewardship uh, in amazing ways with their local communities. So I'd like to share just a few of those ideas with you. One is around financial transparency, uh, by which we mean sharing your saving, spending, and serving plans with a group of close advisors. One of the men we interviewed for the book, who's actually in the room today, told us that he would rather run down the street naked than share his finances. Um, <laughs> Thankfully for all of us, he chose to share his finances. Uh, he, uh, and, so, and you know, he, he really did share his finances with a group of close Christian advisors, and he told us it's one of the greatest blessings that God's ever given him. In fact, all of the couples with whom we spoke who have elected to become financially transparent have said that it's been nothing but a tremendous blessing. Uh, the second idea has to do with group giving. Uh, another man we interviewed, who is also in the room today, uh, has partnered with three other families to translate the Bible into the native tongue of an indigenous people group for the first time. Randy actually mentioned this giving opportunity last night. Uh, the project will cost over $100,000 over three years, much more than any one of these families who is participating could have afforded on their own. Uh, but they're improving their impact on the kingdom by pooling their resources together. Uh, John and I call this maximizing the kingdom ROI of your giving. I think it's a powerful idea. Uh, the third opportunity for stewardship in community is uh, giving ministries. So several of the families that we studied have launched giving ministries at their local church. These ministries are targeted for individuals whose spiritual gift is giving, according to Romans 12. And it's not just for wealthy people. I mean, we all know the story of the widow with the two pennies. You know, it's, it can be anyone. Um, importantly, these ministries, all, in addition to just giving, you know, providing an avenue for these individuals to express their spiritual gift, they also operate the ministries that they are supporting. So for example, uh, there's one church in California that launched a giving ministry uh, that funds but also operates an orphanage in Mexico. And I think that's a much more comprehensive view of stewardship than just writing a check. Uh, these ministries also provide an important avenue for education for younger Christians in the area of generosity, something that we think is badly lacking in the church today. So those are just a few ideas of the ways that we can engage in stewardship in community. So that's our third big idea. 
Um, I now want to transition and tell you all about how God has transformed us personally through this process. Uh, in a word, he's been amazing. Uh, God has opened doors, formed relationships, and created opportunities, including the chance to be here today. And we're very grateful to him for all of those things. Uh, but more than that, he has transformed our view of wealth and importantly, linked that view to his overall story of salvation. And uh, it's been you know, a, an amazing you know, six to nine months for us, and we are so grateful to God for the work he's done in our hearts. So I'd let, just like to tell you a few of the practical outlays of that. Uh, first, as John mentioned, he has transformed our conception of how we view our wealth. Uh, we now understand that everything we have truly belongs to God and should be used for his purposes. Like John mentioned, we have stopped asking the question, how much should we give, and now ask the question, how much do we really need to keep? We've actually found that mindset to be very freeing. We call it a mindset of abundance. Uh, rather than constantly striving to accumulate more, we can now freely be thankful to God for his provision and freely be excited about the opportunity to serve him with our excess. Uh, second, we have become ambitious givers. Uh, we strive to set audacious goals for our generosity, and we can't wait to see what types of opportunities God has created, will create for us in the future to uh, serve his kingdom. Um, the practical implication of that, John and I have uh, created what we call a generosity covenant, which is a written stewardship philosophy that outlines our plans for our spending, our saving, and our serving. Um, and it basically includes a bunch of principles for how, that will guide our stewardship as we go forward. So for us specifically, what does this look like? Uh, we will be capping our consumption at no more than $100,000 per year. Uh, anything above that will just be given away. Uh, we call this a financial finish line. Uh, we will also be capping our net worth at up to $4 million, which I'm currently in the red right now, so it's a long way from that. <laughs> but, uh, if, but if God ever blesses us with the means to accumulate that amount of money, we will cap our net worth at $4 million, thus freeing up all of the excess to be given away. Uh, and the way we arrived at those numbers is by attaching the actual needs of our family uh, to spending and saving amounts, which was a whole new way of looking at money for us. Um, Finally, in terms of giving, uh, John is engaging in an experiment in radical generosity. He'll be giving away 50%, 5-0 of his income throughout the remainder of 2015. Uh, and both of us have agreed to give at least 15% of our income away every year going forward with plans to accelerate that once we pay Harvard back. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We are also uh, engaging in stewardship in community. So uh, I became financially transparent. Uh, I shared my finances with the Board of Directors for Life that John mentioned. Uh, I received lots of constructive feedback, uh, including the question of how I possibly plan to feed my family, given how little I apparently budgeted for groceries. Um, so <laughs> uh, Bob mentioned my son, uh, Grant, earlier. So if he stops growing, you guys will know why. Um, and, uh, the Board of Directors for Life is also engaging in a group giving project. So the seven families are pooling a portion of our tithes and offerings uh, to support one cause together. We're still deciding exactly what cause that will be, but we can't wait to see what opportunity God has set before us. Um, finally, the, the last way that God has really transformed our hearts through this uh, is through revealing to us the unique joy and satisfaction uh, that can be found only in being generous. The families we studied in our book are incredibly joyous people who are highly satisfied with their lives. Uh, and we realize this is because they have experienced the joy of generosity firsthand, uh, and now they seek to experience it again and again. And we want that for ourselves too. 
we also observed that they have a highly mature uh, faith in Christ. And we think that this is a virtuous cycle. You know, of course their mature faith equips them to become more generous, you know, that's for sure. But I think also we observed them take bold and I think scary steps of faith into generosity. And God met them there. And I think that increased their faith all the more. That was very inspiring to us and we want to do the same for ourselves. Uh, most importantly, uh, we realize that while generosity is about money, of course, uh, we realize that our treatment of money uh, is undergirded by God's story of uh, salvation, redemption, and grace. Uh, I think making that connection crystal clear in our minds that how we handle our money is simply one way we respond to God in gratitude for his amazing gift of salvation, that's been the greatest blessing that's come from this project. So to close with two quick thoughts, the first would be um, we've had an amazing weekend at this celebration of generosity personally, and we've grown as God continues to work on our hearts. As an encouragement to generous giving, I wanted to point out that when we surveyed those 200 alumni, we had never heard of generous giving, and, and five, six, seven, eight of these people responded back and said, by the way, I was just tithing, and then I went to a generous giving event, and it transformed my mindset, so you guys need to connect with generous giving, and we eventually did and are so honored to be here. But uh, the work that this group does, I think, is, is having a real impact, as we found in, in our own research. Um, the second would be um, Generous Giving has offered to give out our, our pre-release book, um, and it's on your table. One thing I just wanted to point out, on the bottom of this book, it says Feedback Welcome, and it's got an address. We really mean that. This is a pre-release. There's only going to be about 500 copies of this made, and most of them are in the room today. And <laughs> so, so we're counting on you. Um, <laughs> We're, we're talking with agents and publishers now and we'll see where this goes, but um, we, we know that we've missed things as it stands today and we want this to be a tool for God's kingdom, so we, we really want to get it right and we would love to hear from you about what we could do better. Um, so thank you so much for letting us share our testimony. God bless. <laughs>